I want you to open your Bibles today. And we're going to open them to the book of Isaiah. <laughs> Picking up on a theme here, folks. Here's another theme. If you uh, have lost a service credit union member card, come to uh, Tim at the end and he'll get this to you. Uh, we don't want you to, you know, not have your debit card. So if that's you, you can come get it. Um, I, I could love to turn that into something spiritual. I got nothing, all right? <laughs> I, should, I, I should have just asked God for a word of knowledge or something, but I'm kind of focused on the message right now, so let's move on. <laughs> Somebody here lost their debit card. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 50 I believe God's preparing his people, as he always has, for seasons and times where you'll be used by God in ways you haven't expected. You'll approach both adversaries and, and opportunities with a different, you know, a different approach. Maybe for a lot of us, we just try to, you know, face what comes when it comes. But we are not you know, reactive people anymore. The Holy Spirit has been placed inside of us. God has given us his spirit. In fact, one of the things that Jesus said was that the Holy Spirit would be to his disciples what he was to his disciples. And he says he will lead you and guide you in all truth. He says he will show you things that are to come. And he says this about the Holy Spirit in the, in the book of John. He says that the Holy Spirit, whatever the Spirit hears from the Father... He will disclose to you. So you've got to know that, that God's got things prepared that I've got no clue about, but, but he wants to reveal these things to me. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about no eye is seen, no ear is heard. No, it's never even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. But then he says, do you know who knows the heart of God? It's the Spirit of God. And then he says, he says, just like you, no one knows what's in your heart except your own spirit. He says, in the same way, the spirit of God searches even the depths of God. And then he says, and we have received, not the spirit which is of the world, but the spirit which is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So it's important for a believer to know this, that God is not leaving you in the dark to just blindly slug at the darkness and hope you hit something. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, when I box, I don't box, it's just beating the air. You guys know that if, if you're just beating the air and you're missing your, oppo your opponent, if you're in a boxing match and he keeps dodging you, like Ali used to do, remember? He'd float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. There were times you watch him, you'd see some guy that was bigger than him, look like he could hit him, look like he could really knock him down, and he starts swinging, but Ali just keeps dodging him and moving in and out, weaving, and then gets his hit in at the right time. You know, when you're missing your opponent, you're still expending energy. You're going to tire out. You're still, hit, you're still throwing punches, but you're not hitting anything. The Bible says that we're not of those of the, we're not those that are of the night, we're of those that are of the day. In Ephesians and Colossians, he says that you need to be alert in prayer. What does it mean to be alert in prayer? 
I mean, you know, so many times our prayer life is determined by what's been happening around us. Maybe your prayer life is determined by whatever your friends on Facebook are riled up about. This is what I need to pray about. This is an emergency. We need to pray about this. Yeah, maybe we do. But if your prayer life is nothing more than the complaints desk or the 911, then your prayer life is suffering because you're reacting to the devil more than you're reacting to God. See, if the enemy can, can guide our prayer life by just causing trouble, then our prayer life, he, then Jesus is not Lord anymore. All these other things are Lord in our life. Jesus said, my sheep will follow me because they hear my voice. They know my voice. So when it says in Ephesians and Colossians that we need to keep alert in prayer. It says pray without ceasing. It says pray at all times in the spirit, keeping alert. Then I think that, that those are times where through that prayer, through that time with God, you know prayer is not a one-way conversation. So when he says prayer without, pray without ceasing, we know that prayer, yeah, it involves me talking, but it also involves me listening. Somebody once said, and I thought this was a brilliant point, he said, in prayer, just like in conversation, you should let the one who knows the most talk the most. Not everybody believes this. The Bible says that a fool is known by his many words, right? You got people that talk, 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 but they don't know what they're talking about. If you want to learn something, you get in a conversation with someone that knows a bit more than you, shut your mouth for a while. Listen. <laughs> Ask a question or two. Then wait for the answer. I don't know how many times somebody's come to me and says, I have a question for you. But by the time they're done asking the question, they've moved on to another topic. They never waited for the answer. They just asked the question. So in prayer, there are things we ask of the Lord, but we're in such a hurry to get out of the room because we've got things to do. We ask the question, we throw it up to the air, and we run away. So if prayer is two-way, it's speaking, but it's listening, then when the scripture says, pray without ceasing, can you imagine a lifestyle where God is talking to you without ceasing, where God is constantly speaking to his people. You know, I think this is the reality that he wants. What did Jesus say? When the Holy Spirit comes, whatever he hears, he will disclose. Whatever he hears. Now, either there's not much conversation up in heaven, or we're not listening. We have a leader. We have a guide. You know, those disciples, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be to you. He'll be another helper. And that word another in Greek means one like you've had, like just like you've had. It's another one. The Holy Spirit will be to you what I was to you. See, they're worried that he's going away. What will we do if we don't have Jesus? What will we do if Jesus leaves us? And he says, don't worry. It's better for you if I go away because I'm going to send my spirit. Now look what Jesus did. The disciples really didn't have to do a lot of guesswork when they were with Jesus. If he said, go here, they went there. If he said, cast the net on the other side, they cast the net on the other side. If he said, you know, at one point, Jesus has to pay a temple tax. He doesn't say, he, he, he points out that it's not really fair because the temple is kind of belongs to him. He says, it's kind of ironic. I have to pay a tax for my own temple. But he says, so that I'm not a stumbling block to these people. This is a good thing for all of us to listen to because sometimes you say, it's not fair. I shouldn't have to do this. Well, Jesus says, it's wrong that I got to pay this temple tax. But so that I'm not a stumbling block to these people, we're going to pay it. But here's the loophole. 
Peter, go fishing. You're going to catch a fish. There's going to be a coin in its mouth. That'll pay our temple tax. Bit of a loophole, hey? <laughs> He's going to pay the temple tax, but he got the money from a fish. This is not Aesop's fables. This happened. This is history. All right. Do you believe things like that could happen today? Yeah. Right? So if Jesus isn't, do, to, he's not physically here to tell you that, how are you going to know? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit, right? But you know, the Holy Spirit, I don't believe, is going to, I don't believe he's going to stand next to you with a bullhorn yelling in your ear until you finally listen. I think you've got to tune in. You've got to wait. You've got to stop for a minute. I went through a season of my life where I asked the Lord, Lord, why is it that I hear your voice in the shower so much? It was a dumb question when I really thought about it. Because the shower was the only time I wasn't doing something. The shower was the only time that I wasn't like actively doing something else. So it was time that I was there listening. It's not that the Holy Spirit loves the shower. It's not like God loves the shower. It's that that was the only time I was listening. So if you think about it that way, then really I could imagine there's a lot of times God would want to speak and I'm just not listening. So I can do two things. I can either just take more showers, be the cleanest guy in Lloydminster, take like six a day, or I could take time to listen in every circumstance. It might mean that whenever I'm bored, I'm not opening my phone. It might mean that I don't constantly need to be entertained because this is an addiction we have. We have an addiction to entertainment. And it's something that previous generations have not faced like we face because we have access to entertainment. You know, there was a day, even if you had all the channels, we didn't. We had two channels. We had CTV and CBC. For a period of time, we had TBN when it was on the local channel 10, right? And, but for the most part, we had CBC and CTV. So there were plenty of times where you'd be like, there's nothing on. But the best thing in the world was that there was nothing on sometimes. Because it gave you an excuse to unplug. But even, you guys know, even if you, I mean, we would, as kids, we got so excited when we went to a hotel because they had all the channels. <laughs> but we were amazed. Even with all those channels, sometimes there was nothing on. Yeah. Right? So you just turn it off. But now, if we can dream up a show we want to watch... You can watch it at any time. You can watch a whole season. You can watch five seasons and get it done in a week. That's a problem. Guys, this is the definition of addiction. And we don't realize it. In fact, sometimes we're so addicted to entertainment that we'll let stuff in our house we would never allow in our house. But if it's entertaining, we'll let it in. You know, it would be good for us to unplug for a while. You know, and, and I know that there's sometimes people are like, the, the best part about a Facebook fast is announcing your Facebook fast. <laughs> I'm taking a break from social media. Because, you know, as Jesus said, the best part of a fast is telling everybody about your fast. And then you say something about that? Yeah. <laughs> Post a picture of, of your coffee mug with your devotional journal and your Bible open. Taking a break. <laughs> that said, it's probably a good idea. But this is also kind of the cold turkey approach that, you know, what ends up happening, just like people that fast physical food, fast food, not fast food, but fast <laughs> not eating food, 
And then as soon as they're off their fast, they pig out. It might be better if you lived a fasted life where you developed and you got into the rhythms of the spirit and you didn't just binge and then purge and then binge and then purge, but that you got into a pattern of saying every day of my life, I'm leaving room for the spirit of God to speak. I want to read you something from Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50 has probably three different angles to it at least. The first being, it starts out with God talking to us. Then you'll notice around verse 4, it switches from God's dialogue to the one who's listening. And as the prophet Isaiah is speaking of himself, at some point he begins to speak of Jesus. Begins to identify prophetically with Jesus because he even begins to prophesy about how Jesus would have his beard plucked out and he'd be spit on by the soldiers. And so we see a picture of God. We see a picture of us. We see a picture of us in Christ. We see a picture of Jesus. Do you know, whatever the scripture says about Jesus, you can take for you. When it talks about in Isaiah about him being the servant that, you know, you're not going to have to die on the cross for the sins of the world, she will have to take up your cross. Uh, when, when I see Jesus finding himself in Isaiah, I think I could find myself in Isaiah because now I'm in Christ, right? So when it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this and Christ is in me, then the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do this. In Isaiah 50, God says, thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of divorce by which I sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? What's, what's he saying? He's saying, I didn't divorce you. Your mother might have been sent away. You might have been sold to your creditors. But like, I didn't quit. I'm not done with you. Do you think that God's abandoned you? Do you think that he's totally walked away? He says, I, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with this relationship. Where's the certificate of divorce? He's saying, you, do you have proof? Do you got the papers? Then he says this. He says, why was there no man when I came? When I called, why was there none to answer? Can you imagine hearing that? And realizing God showed up and God called and nobody was answering. We talk about this, all these periods of silence where just silence where God's not speaking. What if the periods of silence aren't that God's not speaking, but that we're not listening? You know, when Samuel was called into the ministry as a young boy, one of the most famous things that we know about Samuel in his young life is that when he was a little boy in the temple, God spoke to him and he didn't know what to do with that. In fact, he thought it was Eli. He just heard his name over and over again. And finally he goes to the, the priest that's training him and he says, what do you want? And after the second time, the, the priest starts to clue in that this is not, he's not hearing a person's voice, he's hearing God. So he says, go back and say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. But the Bible says before Samuel, it says the voice of God was seldom heard in the land at, that, at those times. I want you to hear what he says. The voice of God was seldom heard. It doesn't mean that God didn't want to speak. It's that people weren't listening. So it took a little kid in the temple, shut off from everything else, to finally be able to hear what God had to say.
You'd love for that little kid to get this wonderful message like, hey guys, revival's coming. But the message this little boy got was things have been bad. And he has to tell his mentor, God's not happy with you. He's not happy with your family. You need to fix some things. Can you imagine a little boy bringing that message? But he was the only one that could be trusted with it. So God says, when I call, why was there nobody when I came? What would you think if you found out that God showed up and you just didn't know? He was here. We didn't know. He said, when I called, nobody answered. I was ringing you up. Nobody picked up the phone. He said, is my hand so short that I cannot ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make rivers a wilderness. The fish, fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. Now that sounds mean. But what he's talking about is, I'm the God that dried the Red Sea. I'm the God that cleared up the Jordan. So he's saying, the problem isn't that I don't want to deliver you. Or the problem isn't that I don't have power to deliver you. The problem is, you're not listening when I'm saying I'm here to deliver you. Yeah. Nobody's listening. Here I am. He's, he's, he's telling him, do you guys think I can't save you? You think I can't help you? And this is what happens. A lot of people say, where was God? Where is God? You know, the question that people ask, there's a lot of people, I, I understand that's a good question, but a lot of people ask that question when they weren't asking, where is God before a tragedy? They just ask after. They ask after something happened, where was God? Well, why weren't you asking before that? Because perhaps God was speaking. Perhaps God wanted to, to speak to you, to, to, to be there at that moment. He was there, but you were not aware. I'm not saying that's a bad question to ask, but a lot of times, just like uh, 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 you know, one particular lady, I believe it was Billy Graham's daughter, after, after September 11th, they, you know, some, a news anchor said, you know, where was God in all this? What happened? Why did God? And she said, where was God? We keep, we keep saying we don't want God here and we don't want God here and we don't want God there. We, we keep trying to get God out of our society. And now you ask, where is he? You said you didn't want him. But he's here. So he says, do you guys think I can't save you? Look, I'm the, guy that, I'm the God that dried up the sea. Don't forget, this is what I did for your parents, for your ancestors. I did this. I can do this again. He says in verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness. I make sackcloth their covering. That seems like a mean thing to do to fish, but okay. <laughs> verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. So now it's not God speaking, it's God speaking, but it's not from God's perspective, it's from the prophet's perspective. He says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, literally the tongue of a learned one. You know, you can't be learned or a disciple if you're not willing to be discipled, right? So Jesus picked kind of a weird bad news bears kind of bunch the original Mighty Ducks, you know, not the crew that you would say, these guys will change the world, the ragtag group. And they became the kind of guys that could turn the world upside down because they were with Jesus. And even when people recognized that they were uneducated, they did recognize they, they've been with Jesus and there's a wisdom here we can't contend with. Why? Because they're a disciple. Now, 
You've given me the tongue of a learned one, of a disciple one. That means in that moment, I know what to say, not because I figured it out, but because you taught me what to say. The tongue of a disciple means that I'm saying the things I was taught. I'm saying the things that were given to me. So the reason Peter can stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach a great message isn't because fishermen make the great, greatest preachers. It's because this man had been taught by Jesus and he was being taught by the Holy Spirit, being given words even as he spoke. So the reason he can speak so effectively is not because he went to school for it, but because he's willing to listen. That I, you've given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. I want you to hear that. He awakens my ear. I think this would be a good prayer for you to pray. Maybe one you've never thought. But the prayer you might need to pray is, Lord, wake up my ears. Wake up my ears to hear. I think of these great moments in church history in the early church when, when the first missionaries went out, when Paul and Barnabas went out for the first time. They didn't go out because they had a good strategy meeting. They didn't go out because they planned it. They went out because the, the, all the elders and the apostles and all these people, the church of Antioch was ministering to the Lord, fasting and praying. And then the Lord spoke to them and said, take these two guys and send them out. So their greatest missionary trip, their greatest plan, the great strategy to win the nations did not come from people dreaming it up. It came from people ministering to the Lord and listening. And God gave them a plan. I don't know about you, but I, I conf I'm confronted with weary people all the time. Sometimes I'm the weary one. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> Some people are like, oh, no, it's me. It's me. I, I'm that guy. No, we all have been the weary one. And there's a lot of things you can say to someone that's weary. And there's a lot of things you can do. And there's a lot of little pat cliches, you know, little platitudes that we say that really don't help anyone, but they kind of get the conversation over. Right? But what if you had a word from the Lord that was going to lift them back up again? That was going to sustain them through a time of battle where they're getting weary. They feel like giving up. And you've got a word, you've got a message, you've got something to say to them that's going to keep them going. You might say, well, maybe I'll say what someone said to me, and, and that may work, but it may not. What he's saying here is, you gave me the tongue of a disciple, you're teaching me what to say, and in that moment, you're giving me the words to say. So before I speak, I need to listen. We're really in this sort of attitude where we feel like we got to give the answers right away. We feel like we, we can't wait. There can't be dead air. There can't be silence. But maybe sometimes you just need to say, I hear you. I am with you. I know what you're going through. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk to you again. Maybe it's okay to step, step back and say, Lord, what do you, you want to say? Rather than feeling like I got to come up with something right now. I got to say something. I can't just leave them hanging, but maybe the, the, you know, leaving them hanging might be the best thing sometimes. You might have instantly, you know, there's been plenty of times where instantly God gave you something to say, right? You knew this is what I should share with them. This, you knew this is what I should say to help them. But there's other times where you're like, I have nothing and I can give you a, a, a canned response or I can truly seek God and say, God, what am I supposed to say? 
Sometimes I don't know what to say. But when a word from God can sustain someone with a word, just a word can sustain someone. He says, he awakens me morning by morning and he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. I think if your ears were awake, you'd hear things you never thought were being spoken. You'd be aware of things you didn't know you were being aware of. And somebody says, well, that's not my gift. Listen, I'm not talking about a special gift that only some people have. I'm talking about the spirit that was given to the church. And you can hear if you're willing to let him wake up your ear, carve the wax out, and let you listen. He says, the Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. And then he begins to speak of, he says, I gave my back to those that strike me, the cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know that I will not be ashamed. Why do I know that? Because I hear him. How do I know he's helping me? Because I know he's near. How do I know he's near? Because I can hear him. I know he's here. So because I, cause you woke up my ears, I'm able to put up with people treating me bad. I'm able to deal with people abusing me and not take it back out at them. We've talked about this before, but Jesus could have destroyed the very people that were hurting him. Could have called down angels, could have wiped them out. How did he restrain himself? Because he knows the Lord's with him. He says he's listening. All that time he's listening. So many times we're going to the Lord in prayer and our time with the Lord in prayer is, like I said, these are my problems, here's my list. And you just release it to God. Say, here's my problems. So, uh, I, I, Lord, help me with this. Help me with this. This is my deal. This is this person's deal. And you just give all those things to God. And you walk away and you say, well, he's fixing them now. And I understand that because sometimes, you know, there's those be still and know that I'm God moments. But how did they know to be still and know that he was God? He told them, be still and know that I'm God. Yeah. So many times we just throw up the request and then we leave. Do you know that? Many times the answer to whatever you asked God, the answer and the solution, the way of escape to your temptation, the way of escape to your trial, the, the way out is going to come if you would just not only bring your request to the Lord, but stay there for a moment and listen. Maybe he's got the answer. You ever think of King David? how he was such a mighty man and we say oh well you know he was the best warrior he had the best guys but if you read these stories there were times where he fought and it's presumed that he was a good warrior and that he was a good leader and he was a good captain but there were many times if you read these stories of his victories that he would inquire of the Lord and say God what's the game plan here we think he was you know he needed God's help for Goliath and then afterwards God just kind of helped him and, and, and you know maybe God was the vitamin he popped. You know he was you know the, the, the spirit of God was, were the steroids he needed to win the battle. But you read the stories and he says Lord what do I do? When he comes to his he and his men come to their rebel camp that they've left their wives and their kids and everything they had. And they come back to Ziklag where they've been making their headquarters and everything is burned and their families have been taken away by a foreign army. 
his men just start to weep. And then they get angry and they want to kill him because they said, it's your fault that we left our families here. It's your fault that my wife and kids are gone. And it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. But then he inquired of the Lord, said, Lord, what should we do? And God said, you pursue, you overtake them and you possess. You go and you, you chase them down. I've given you everything. I'm, I'm with you. David didn't just, you know, get broiled up in anger and say, let's go, boys. He said, God, what do we do? And God said, go after him. I'm with you. He was such a good leader and such a good fighter because he waited to hear what God would say. So many times we think he was just, you know, just a man of, uh, who had been trained in battle, but he, in fact, said, you train my hands for war. In 2 Samuel, and I just want to read you this story before we, before we finish here today. 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is not long after David's been made king over all Israel. He was made king of Judah before he was made king of all Israel. Um, but through him, the, the tribes were once again united. And uh, the people had made a covenant with him and he made a covenant with God. And he knew as one of his tasks as king was to drive the Philistines out of the land uh, because they were a constant threat to his people really to finish what had been started with Joshua. So he was constantly at war with the Philistines. They were constantly attacking his villages. They were constantly waging warfare on them. And it seemed like a tough battle to fight. But he put his hand to it. He put his heart to it. And he followed God. And there's a moment in verse 17. It says, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel... All the Philistines went up to seek out David. And David, when he heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. You know that whenever God puts a new anointing on your life, takes you to a deeper level, the enemy is looking to attack you right away. Philistines attacked because David had been anointed as king over all Israel. That's the time they want to strike. They want to weaken his position. You have an enemy that wants to strike you in the very moments where God is raising you up to something, where God is pulling you deeper to something. So you just be ready. There's, there'll be an attack, but don't worry. God's with you. This is what happens. David, it says, then the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Raphaim. The reason they spread themselves out is because there were a lot of them. David, you may not know this, but David was constantly fighting as the underdog. All his life, he was the underdog. All his life. And so here again, the Philistines spread out because they're massive. David doesn't have enough men to really encircle them. He says, God, what should we do? You know, you'd think that was a, a gut reaction. Well, we should attack or we should do this. He doesn't take gut reactions. He asks the Lord, Lord, what should we do? Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them to my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. That's really cool, isn't it? The Lord has broken through my enemies before me 
like the breakthrough of waters. This is how David could have taken credit for this. He could have said, look, I'm the best leader. I'm the best warrior. But he gives full glory to God. He says, it's God that's anointed me. It's God that's gone before me. It's God that broke through. Then he names it in this place. He named it Baal Perazim, which means the Lord of the breakthrough. He calls it the Lord of the breakthrough. You mean, guys, you know what happens when the enemy spreads themselves out and they're, they're a few deep. And you don't have enough guys to encircle them, flank them. Your only hope is to break their line. These Philistines were better warriors. They were better equipped. There's no hope of these little, little Hebrew guys breaking the line. But he said, the Lord went before me and broke their lines. In verse 21, they abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. Now the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out in the valley of Raphaim. When David inquired of the Lord, listen, David just beat them in the same valley. And so many times we're like, well, we beat them in the same valley. Let's do it again. Don't you think if there was any time he says, I don't really need to ask God. We just did it. It would have been that time. But once again, he asked the Lord. This is his pattern. I'm going to ask God. I'm not going to assume anything. So he inquires of the Lord again. And the Lord says, don't go directly up. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act properly, for then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the enemy of the Philistines. Then David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. This really happened. So here's what happens. He says, come up behind them. Come in the balsam trees. Some translations say the mulberry trees. Come back behind him with the, around, around these balsam trees. Hide there. Then he says, you're going to hear a sound of marching. One, some translations say the sound of going. You're going to hear a marching sound through the trees. Now listen. Do you think... Do you think that they're the only ones that hear a sound in the trees? I think other people heard the sound in the trees, but they didn't know what it was. But because the Israelites have inquired of God, because David has asked the Lord, the Lord says, it's not rustling. It's not wind. It's not, it may sound like a wind in the bushes. It may sound like a rustling in the trees. But because you've been listening to me, you'll know what it is. And when you know it's the sound of my army marching, then you'll know that's your time to go. See, God gave them a game plan that relied entirely on him, but they still had a part to play. This is how God wants to use his people in these days, in these times. He doesn't just want you to say this worked last time. This worked the time before. God had a different game plan for the same battle. But he says, when you hear the sound, everybody else thinks it's rustling. Everybody else thinks it's a wind blowing. Everybody else thinks it's just the trees moving. You'll know it's the sound of marching. When you hear the sound of marching, you go. How many times does God speak these kind of things to his people? How many times, listen, in the New Testament, God says, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And it says, some people heard that voice. Others thought it was thunder. What's the difference? Their ears are carved out. It says, when the 120 
on the day of Pentecost, went out and started preaching, but they started speaking in other tongues. It says that everyone there heard them in his own language. It doesn't say they spoke in everybody's language. It said everybody heard them. It says we hear them in our language. So it's not that they heard 120 people speaking 120 different languages. It's that everybody here heard 120 people speaking their language. The miracle was in the translation. Right? But then it says there was a group of people who came. It says these people that heard it in their own language were devout men and women who came to the feast. These are people that are seeking God. Then it says there were others who were mocking saying they're drunk. Why would they say they're drunk? If you heard 120 people praising God in your language, you wouldn't think they're drunk. But if you hear 120 people babbling, seemingly just (laughs) whatever being full of the Spirit looks like, and you guys know sometimes it looks a little crazy, 120 of them acting weird, speaking in weird languages that nobody understands, you think they're drunk. What's the difference? 3,000 people heard what God was saying, but there were a few who were there just to mock They didn't hear anything. Sometimes God is speaking and God is moving. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He says, I'm doing a new thing. Will you be aware of it? Here he says in Isaiah 50, he said, I showed up and nobody knew. I called and nobody answered. There's these times where he says, I've been talking. You just haven't been listening. Jeremiah 17 says the one that puts his hope, his trust in his own flesh is like a bush in the desert. He will not even see when prosperity comes. It doesn't say prosperity didn't come. It's just he didn't grab on it because he didn't know it was there. God sent help. God sent water. But because he was trusting in himself, he wasn't aware when help came. Yeah, think about that. Do you ever think that God might have answered your prayer? You just didn't know it. You might have missed the football when it was tossed to you. Jesus said he came to save. He came as the Messiah and he stood and wept over the city. He said, if I had only, I wanted just to gather you like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks. But he said, you wouldn't receive me. He said, you didn't, you didn't recognize the day of your visitation. I came. I did what I said I'd do. I've been telling you for hundreds of years, I'm coming. You didn't know I was here. I truly believe that God is moving in these days just as much as he moved then. In fact, I believe the latter and the former rain are coming together. These are the great days of the moves of God. And yet, we always picture, I've said this before, but we always picture like when God sends revival to Lloydminster, when he sends revival to Canada, everybody will see it, but maybe... He might be moving in a great and mighty way and some people just not even be aware of it. You ever think about that? We always assume we'll be swept up in it. If it's coming, it'll sweep me up. I'm lukewarm now. But when revival comes, the Lord will stir me up. What if revival's already here? Your ears are so stopped up you don't know it. You don't even jump in the water because you don't know the water's there. You don't hear the trickling of the brook. I heard somebody say this, I think it was Jenison Franklin said, he was talking about this story of the Israelites and the balsam trees. And he said, this is a sound, he said, that sound of marching is the sound that only prayers hear. The sound that only praisers hear. The sound of people that are already listening to the Lord. 
Everybody else hears a rustling in the bushes. They hear a sound of marching, and they know when we hear the sound of marching, that's our cue to go. Are we listening for the sound? Are we aware of what we should even be listening for? God is not a God who wants to lead you around by surprise all the time. There's times where he surprises us, sure. But I think there's also times he prepares us and prepares us and prepares us. In fact, the book of Amos says, surely the Lord does nothing without first announcing it through the mouth of his prophets. Surely the Lord does nothing without first telling his people about it. Before God sent judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, he visited Abraham and talked to him about it. We just picture this big, mysterious guy in the sky that's rolling dice and going, huh, I guess that's what I'm going to do today. We have this attitude, you know, whatever God wants, God will do. Whatever, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, sometimes the reason something happened was because you did something stupid. I don't punch somebody in the face and go, Every, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I did that. And sometimes I miss something that God was doing. Now listen, I know he's a, he's a God of mercy. He, he comes around again. <laughs> Thank God he's come around again in my life. There's been times I missed it. I know I missed it. And he was faithful to come around again. But you don't, you don't abuse that. Right? You phone somebody to pick you up. They say, we were there. Where were you? Well, I was there. I was just I was seeing if you were faithful to come back. <laughs> like, you don't do that. Just because they are, just because they'll come back for you doesn't mean you should make them come back for you. I want to be quick to hear. And so my prayer today for me and for you is that God would awaken our ears and he'd open them. He'd open our ears. You can't pray for God to open your ears if you're not willing to be awakened. He says, it wakes me up in the morning to talk to me. If you're not willing to give God any time to talk to you, Listen, he can talk in those quick moments. He sure can. He can do anything. But I don't think that's honor. And I think there's a lot of things you'll miss. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They follow me because they know my voice. They don't follow me because they see me. In fact, they follow me because they hear me. Then he says, they don't follow the voice of strangers because they don't know the voice of strangers. How do you know one person's voice and you don't know another person's voice? You know the voice you're listening to the most. So if the voice I'm listening to the most is my Facebook, if the voice I'm listening to the most is my TV, if the voice I'm listening to the most is my podcast, if the voice I'm listening to the most is not the voice of God, that will be the voice I know the best. And the voice you know is the voice you'll follow because it's familiar to you. I'm not saying you throw all that stuff away. I'm saying fix your balance. Mm -hmm. Fix the ratio again. What I should be hearing the most is the voice of God. We paint a picture where the voice of God is very rare in our life, but you have his living word in front of you. You have his Holy Spirit inside of you. It's not supposed to be rare that he leads and guides you. That's not supposed to be the rare thing. It may not always come out in a, thus says the Lord prophecy, but there is a leading and a guiding that is supposed to be part of your everyday life. When you bring the problem to the Lord, Lord, we've been out all night and we haven't caught any fish, and then you leave, you miss the answer. But if you say, Lord, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught any fish, wait for a minute and listen when he says, so put it on the other side. And that sounds dumb because it's only a few meters apart. 
And if there are fish on this side, what makes you think there's going to be fish on this side? Well, it's a supernatural work. Don't you know Jesus could have filled their nets with fish without them doing a thing? But he didn't want to do it that way. He taught them, this is how you do it. You listen for my instruction, even if my instruction seems silly, even if it seems crazy, even if it seems redundant. You listen for my instruction, you do what I say, and there's your answer. There's your provision. Some of you have been asking for provision. You're saying, God, here's a need. And we put the need up to the Lord. And we say, here's my need. You know it. And you walk away. And then you bring it. And you say, I guess i got to pray about it again. Lord, here's my need. You know it. Oh, man. And you start worrying. And you, you know. But what if you said, Lord, here's the need. You know it. You already know the need. But I'm doing what Philippians 4 says. I'm bringing my petition to you with all prayer and petition. See, we, we stop at the petition, which is the request. We forget the prayer part. Yeah. With all prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Yeah. These are all pieces that are important. We make our request known to the Lord, and the God of peace is with us. So, if I'm saying not just petition, but prayer, and with all prayer means various prayer, different types. There's times to intercede. There's times to listen. There's times to uh, pray in the spirit. There's times to pray with your mind. All of these things. But if I'm listening, sometimes the, the answer to the thing I've been asking for is God saying, well, put your net on the other side. If you didn't listen for that, you won't know. And he'll say, God just never provides for me. God never answers my prayer. Because we've been taught by religion that God answering our prayer does never involve, just never involves us. That our only part is to put the prayer up there. But sometimes God says, you've got a part to play. Every time Jesus healed somebody, he gave him a command. Pick up your bed. Stand on your feet. <laughs> Go present yourself to the priests. And on the way, they're healed. In the act of obeying the Lord, they get their healing. You can't be deceived into thinking that God's going to answer your prayer and not involve you. He wants to involve you. And faith requires action. So God will usually give you an action. Just so you're doing something to say, I believe this. Peter, walk out on the water. God could have picked him up by the scruff of the neck and made him dance. <laughs> but there's something powerful in hearing him say, step out of the boat and then doing it. Yes. Lord, awaken our ears. Stand up with me this morning. 